We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is not here. He's still out. He's still out on a secret mission once again, the details of which will be held under wraps until he returns. But uh, th- this is what we're going to do anyway. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whatever it's one of our fun commentaries, something completely different. And in lieu of you know, major theatrical releases this week. We figured, why not do something different? Let's do a special bonus episode. Um, only a few things have arrived recently in theaters following Thanksgiving weekend, which saw the release of a number of films, including Moana, which is still killing it at the box office right now. But this week saw the release of Jackie on select screens. This is the Jackie Kennedy biopic starring Natalie Portman, who's certainly up for, it seems almost no question that she'll be nominated for an Oscar for her performance. But the film itself Deserves plenty of uh, recognition, so we figured, um, why not talk about Jackie in some form, even though it doesn't expand to more theaters for a few weeks, but uh, wanted to go into that, maybe go into some other things as well. And uh, joining me to discuss Jackie and whatever else we get into today, we have from the Newport Beach Film Festival, the lovely and talented, right, to recite herself, Miss Anna Bosch. Hello, everyone. Hi again. <laughs> Glad to have you back here. I know. It was just like last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, this <laughs> week, well, this week, there's even more of you because it's going to be the two of us having a one-on-one conversation about Jackie and other things that we can get into. Is it? That's that's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> yes. Okay. Hopefully this goes really well. <laughs> it should go really well. I'm excited. You should be excited. I think I just laugh too much. <laughs> you should laugh too much. I'm going to keep telling you things you should do. Okay. <laughs> this is so different. It's a little different, yeah. We don't, have, we don't have Abe here. It's just two of us in the same room. That's always fun. I like that. You do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to talk about Jackie. But before we get to Jackie, let's do some show notes stuff real quick. iTunes reviews and ratings. It's good to get those. Helps out the show. Helps other people find the show. If you want to log on, log on to iTunes, search for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. Give us a star rating. That'd be great. Even better, give us a written review of some kind. You know, a couple words or whatever, string together a sentence. It would, uh... Like, um, something along the lines, I listen to Out Now with Aaron and Abe, and it's the most amazing podcast ever. Yes. With an exclamation point. Uh, yeah, multiple exclamation points would be great, too, because <laughs> I would read every single one of them out loud on the show. But yes, it'd be greatly appreciated. It would help bump us up on the old iTunes charts. So thank you for advance for those. Uh, let's see. We have an arrival commentary that's out now. Um, it is December, which apparently also means that a new Star Wars movie comes out, which also means that there will be another out now Star Wars commentary coming soon. So that's going to be a thing. So yeah, we got there'll be multiple commentaries. We'll probably have another contest too. It is you know holiday season. It'll be good to get something to get some kind of gift for a listener that's you know very lucky and entering one of our very easy contests. So we'll probably figure that out in a couple weeks time. And, oh, uh, you have a fun bag to wrap them in now. That Yes, I do. <laughs> and uh, last thing here, Anna, do you want to point out something else that's uh, currently going on? Well, uh, definitely. So I am the director of interns and volunteers at Newport Beach Film Festival. And as you've been kind of shouting out every week or so about how I need some interns, I still need interns. <laughs> so if anyone's in the Southern California area, they can definitely email me at intern at newportbeachfilmfest.com, which I believe is on the show notes after the show. So they can just go on there for the link. And it's a really fun time to experience and, you know, be involved with the film festival. And I guess also we are open on another note. We're open for submissions. Yeah. So if you have films so, of your own, you can go to Newport Beach Film Fest and uh, learn all the instructions there on how to submit your film. Yeah. For the you festival. can go to the, the website. And um, I think... Our regular deadline's coming up. It's December 16th. Okay. So definitely get those films in. And yeah, hopefully we'll see you at the film festival. Okay. All right. Thank so that's, you. You're welcome. I'm happy to give you some time there to shout out to the Because <laughs> I just, I want to see you conducting a legion of people. <laughs> a legion of people. <laughs> <clears throat> um, all right. So let's get into what we're going to talk about. Uh, we're, let's get into Jackie. They need to know that real men actually lived here. I've grown accustomed to a great divide between what people believe and what I know to be real. And how would you like him remembered? There should be more horses, more soldiers. Why are you doing this, Mrs. Kennedy? There's more crying, more cameras. This is making us look like barbarians. What's wrong with you? You don't have to do this. I will march with Jack. Alone, if necessary. (laughs) 
All right, so that should have been some of the trailer for Jackie. I'll read a quick description here off of uh, the old Wikipedia. The <laughs> film follows Jackie Kennedy in the days when she was first leading the White House and her life following the assassination of her husband, President John F. Kennedy, in 1963. It focuses on Theodore H. White's Life magazine interview with the widow at Hinesport, Massachusetts. That's a, a broad description of the film. I would say, yeah, it takes place around about like a couple weeks' time as far as like what what things were like before jfk was assassinated but yeah it's more like you know the the interview took place like a week after Mm -hmm. and then there's some direct shots of what you know the actual assassination what have you um but the film is largely about the kind of the mind of jackie kennedy at that time and like what she went through not only not just like what the event of an assassination was like which is obviously a major part but you know her emotional state at the time and i would say i certainly like the film for that reason i think the biopics that i've you know, tend to, to kind of put more support behind in recent years are ones that are less about a chronological retelling of things and more about ones that both are, serve as a, a, a great character study as well as ones that focus on a, a time, a period of time, which is why I think films like Selma or Lincoln from recent years, I really like those. Like Lincoln focuses on specifically his work as president and politician to get the 13th amendment passed and selma is about a you know it's about the the march and about his relationship with lbj for a period of time and whatnot like there's there it's not going to this kind of broad look at a man's life which is where other films kind of stumble something like the the idris elba mandela movie focuses on all of mandela's life in and trying to do that in a two and a half hour period of time that's a great filmmaker may be able to do something well with that, but it's it can't always be the best way to tackle things. Some films do do that. Some films are more successful than that than others. But and some are even short, right? Yes. Like Jackie runs at what ninety minutes? Yeah, Jackie's about ninety minutes without credits, and but it does do what I'm talking about, which is what I like, where it focuses on a specific part of of her life as mm-hmm. opposed to her. You know, we're not seeing Jackie from a young age developing into a woman who becomes... Who, who gets the, into, involved with the family. Yeah, it, it just tells this very specific period of time in her life. And I really like that. I, I, and just to kind of sum up my brief thoughts on it, I think Natalie Portman's pretty terrific in the role. I think the the the, the other actors here, I mean, you have Peter Sarsgaard as uh, Bobby Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You have um, uh, Billy Cruda plays the, the Life in- magazine interviewer. I like the kind of antagonistic relationship they seem to have with each other there's a lot of just great and there's also greta greta gerwig's in there as a nancy tuckerman the social secretary yeah, she and i think like... she does a well you know a well job with helping uh jackie mm-hmm. and portman when they do the house the white house tour mm-hmm. and she's like how she was you know kind of like assisting her of how to conduct herself in certain areas mm-hmm. and so yeah it's, it's a good it's a strong cast the there's plenty of other assets but i want i want to let you talk how, what did you think of jackie I also enjoy Jackie as well, and it is great that it's 90 minutes. <laughs> I know we come into the season where it's a war season, and a lot of films are like two hour long, which isn't bad. Yeah, it's not bad to, like, you look at Bridge of Spies, for example. Yes. That's like two hours and 20 minutes, something like that. Exactly. But, like, so. you know, it's, it's not as if it's, I don't consider, I don't think either of us consider it more of a chore to watch a movie that's longer, but no. it is refreshing for a movie that knows what it wants to accomplish and you know not have to extend itself in order to do that exactly so it being 90 minutes is not a problem or like we're saying two hours but the interview how it begins with the interview i think it's like a really great device to use as a framework to help the film move along because like you were saying before it doesn't begin of like young jackie and how she met you know john kennedy john kennedy and then got married and all that and the film is specifically titled jackie so we are Focusing on Jackie and post-assassination and what she went through. And it's definitely a take on, like, the psychological turmoil that she um, had. And it's very devastating. Definitely a lot of people know the story. But I think it's just, it's alarming when it's a death that happens that's so close to you, especially because they're both in the same um, motorcade, where she literally had his head lie on his lap. And that's... That's just devastating. So, like I was talking to you before, it's also devastating within the same year she had a loss of a son. So you have all of this that just, like, working up, you know, and just to see her grief throughout the film. And I think some of the, again, important cinematography that happens, it kind of peers in. Gosh, the cinematographer is... The cinematographer is, is a, a Stéphane Fontaine. Yeah, Steph- I That's the name. Because I was, like, remembering Or Stéphane. Stéphane Fontaine. Stéphane Fontaine, yes. 
And I think he does a marvelous job in creating that melancholy feeling because we were appearing in her private life mm -hmm. when she's on Air Force One right after the assassination and she's trying to wipe off the blood and she's just staring in the mirror and just, you know, trying to gather herself. And then also with the shower scene, she finally, that dried blood that's coming off of her from... As yeah, well, there's like the just... film depicts like a lengthy period of time of her wearing the exact ensemble, like the pink of the, you know, you've seen it in the, if you've seen the the Zapruder film, mm -hmm. among other things, you've seen the, the kind of the pink outfit that she right. was wearing. And she's like, the movie really emphasizes having her wearing that for a good amount of time during that day, mm -hmm. like not just like the day, like into the night and everything and to like, so, we, you know, finally getting rid of that and, you know, washing the blood. The, 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 the remains of this horrible mm -hmm. day off of her. Yeah, there's, and you so you mentioned the cinematographer, there's a great amount of kind of filmmaking efforts going on here i think you also appreciated the score very much i did which is provided by mika mika levy Levi? who uh, levy. previously did the under the skin score which also has a similarly haunting way of presenting itself and i think yeah, it's very much it works here very well it definitely does i know when i turned to you afterwards it was like the score like i think when we leave the movie house or the movie theater <laughs> um have a tendency. He tried to like correct, like <laughs> I say movie house, but I can't say that on the podcast. Wait, like, no. Well, because I think it's funny because sometimes like people are like, are you from the East Coast? And I'm like, no, but because <laughs> my dad's from the East Coast. So it's just like it pops in sometimes movie house. And some people are like, that doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> I should note, by the way, I just thought of this. I might be sounding a bit different because I'm a little under the weather. I just wanted to point yes. that out, which is why my voice might sound more baritone than normal. <laughs> Which still sounds good. You still have that podcast voice. <laughs> but I think when we leave... It'll work very well when I start playing the easy hits from the 80s back in the day. <laughs> I still... I love your voice no matter what. And you are going to be feeling better because we have a, a special date coming up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're talking about the score. Yes, I'm talking about the score. And so I think I mentioned on the podcast in, you know, past times where... The narrative clearly has to be something that's strong for me, production value as well, and then the score. Uh -huh. And I mean, everything in cinema is important when it comes to filmmaking, but I think those are like the three that stand out the oh, most Certainly, yeah, to there's me. things that stand out to people as far right. as what they appreciate most about film. I mm -hmm. have my own things, and you, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah no, I, <laughs> I, I like that, that thought, yeah. So, like, yeah, that haunting... Kind of like I told you, like with Sicario, mm -hmm. and how that when I left the theater, it was just like that. Mm, mm, like you know, I can't really imitate well, it right now. Me, but... I want to. I want to ask that because that's uh, that was done by Johan Johansson. Mm -hmm. uh, he did the Arrival scores. Well. Did you like the Arrival score? I did. Yeah, and I enjoyed that film as well. Mm -hmm. And I like the score from Arrival as well. I, and it... I think it's worth because you know we have we're talking about Mika Levy right now, and mm -hmm. they're talking about Johan Johansson. These are like they're you know they've been around a bit but they you know they're i'm not saying they're like they're they're replacing others but like there's certainly newer people to kind of recognize in this field where you have you've had you know old stalwarts like hans zimmer james newton howard mm -hmm. howard shore a lot of ones that you could you know recognize just because they're john williams obviously yeah. but but you know and those they have a different kind of style thomas newman mm -hmm. one. um you have you have ones like this though that it, or, you know, Alexander Desplat. Oh, yes. Uh, who's been Abe and I's favorite of recent years, mainly because we just like, saying, like saying his, his name. name. <laughs> but he certainly he fits court in the middle. But, you know, Mika Levy or Johan Johansson, these are ones that, like, they're, you know, suddenly emerging as talents that are being sought out by a lot more filmmakers and what have you. And even, you know, Jackie's a smaller film or whatnot, but mm -hmm. Sicario was certainly a little bit was more mainstream. And Arrival is certainly a much bigger film, for, especially for johansson so i mean it's i know these guys are definitely becoming one of my favorites to look out in films for their score because like i said with this one and it's specifically haunting because of giving the nature of the storyline but that repetitiveness is very effective mm -hmm. and it just continues to be an addition to the cinematography that's happening and then adding that value of being voyeuristic in this life of jackie i want to get back to that in a second but i do want to point out of course there's okay. the director pablo lorraine mm -hmm. um who uh he has, I believe, three films out this year alone, including this one and the Neruda film about the poet Pablo Neruda, mm -hmm. played by Gal Garcia Bernal. Mm -hmm. um, he also had the 2012 Academy Award nominated film No, which I think is where people that are familiar with him are mostly know him right. from. But, you know, this is certainly an, another big year for him to be having a number of films, let alone having one that's as highly acclaimed as Jackie. And obviously, you know, you mentioned the various production qualities or what have you, but that's, you know, you need to have a director that knows how to, you know, put his 
cinematic mark on what he wants from out of a film and, you know, hire the right people. And he certainly seems to have done that. And so I agree with you. I do think the kind of the haunting presentation of a, of, of Jackie's, you know, cerebral state is very well handled because of the way he directs this film and what he's asked his filmmakers to do for him as far as creating a level of atmosphere, level of mood, and, and doing so in a very interesting way where, you know, I've talked about the, the way the film plays out. It's not the... the there's a framing device, as you mentioned, with mm-hmm. Billy Crudup and, and her uh, giving the interview. With the interview. But there's also the way it presents, you know, the back, you know, the story of what happened. It's it's not quite chronological. It's not like, you know, it's, you know Jackie, you know, wakes up in the morning, assassination happens, and, like, you know, proceeds onwards. There's some right. form to how it goes. But it's really not to, like, the last, you know, 30 minutes or so where you get to kind of this this way that you want the film to, like, go down a certain route to, of, of Jackie trying to basically... Uh, set up the the funeral procession, right? Mm-hmm. Like what the plans are for that. That's mm-hmm. the that's the most kind of chronologically narrative driven point in the film, besides the framing device, which has its own sense of logic. But the, what I like about the presentation of of most of the film is that the inter the interview allows her to jump back to different points in time in a, a scattered order, uh, not just right. like from you know from the mm-hmm. time I was young to the time I was old. It's more of like I'm jumping around to to what my mind is telling me is important. And it doesn't mean begin with like. The actual events before the assassination of the Hal, like maybe when they got ready and like before they get into the motorcade and everything, mm-hmm. like it's literally hurry sitting in the vehicle and then mm-hmm. the one shot and then the second shot, mm-hmm. and then you see them on the freeway just flying by with mm-hmm. one of like secure. And they the present secu- that a couple of different ways. And they do, yeah. and what's most effective too with that is just like seeing the guy, the one the security, kind of just like hovering over Jackie while they're just flying mm-hmm. on the freeway and just like. Oh my goodness! Just like he has to like be some type of individual being sacrificing just in case nothing happens for the first lady as well. But just to see that, can you imagine like being on the back of a vehicle going top speed? I, I can't imagine. And just like <laughs> it's like having this, you have that's your job of just like protecting, right? And <laughs> it's a little, a little yeah. shaky. And it? obviously, those are you know those are the more like visceral scenes in the film. But the way mm-hmm. it jumps to like other like you talked about the. Um, uh, having having her doing like the tour of the White House, where that's you know that's a real thing that happened of Jackie Kennedy being on TV and showing a tour of the White House, but seeing mm-hmm. the kind of the way the film presents the behind the scenes aspect of it, which gets to Portman's performance of like what she's required to do here, where she's playing the various things about Jackie, where she's playing up the fact that on TV or in public she had to present herself a certain way, and then behind the scenes or like in that interview she's being more open and like how she you know more real is like mm-hmm. and even what's interesting about the interview which is interesting is that she was very much guiding how that interview would play out which what would be on the record what wouldn't be on be the on record it. right i think that tour of the white house um the recreation of that is great mm-hmm. i don't think i've ever really watched that before mm-hmm. i mean i think i've seen it you know recreated before but not like this if i can remember correctly but I think it's just it's great, and the way it cuts back and forth between like the act. Well, it's not actually it's the it's they put Natalie Portman in this footage, but they mm-hmm. recre they recreated that film with Natalie Portman and you know the others to, right. but also showing behind the scenes like the because you know that part's in black and white because that's what TV would be like. Mm-hmm. But they also show like you seeing her being filmed and like right. Greta Gerwig's character standing there trying to like make her tell, tell her to smile more mm-hmm. tell her to you know keep and having a certain facial reaction exactly move her hands around what have you uh-huh and so we're talking about Portman's what do you call it performance <laughs> Port- I think it's Portman's performance mm-hmm. <laughs> it got me all right so Portman's performance I believe it's an Oscar cali- caliber performance right she's really capturing I think the female in the 60s remarkably well and i don't know if anyone else kind of takes this while they're watching the film of just like how she's being moved like during that recreation of the the white house tour mm-hmm. but i was telling you earlier just how it's interesting to see the transformation of just like of men and women in america or even like internationally of like how we conduct ourselves the way our speech speech is mm-hmm. and the way we move and talk and getting back to she is you know conducting yourself as an, a female from 1960s. And I think in, during 1960s, they definitely had a different style of speaking where they converse in drawn out words, or I guess that more breathy, breathy sound like a Marilyn Monroe uh-huh. to give like a better example, because I'm not going to try and do it right now. 
Um, and also pausing at moments. That I would, but I'm sick. <laughs> but definitely pausing at moments that today seem very unconventional. And then just her movements uh, during the tour is just very stiff. And it's not that her clothing is like restricting her to be- move that way. It's just a way of, you know, conducting yourself again. And like in theater classes, they always tell you to kind of feel like there's a a string above your head pulling. So like it's a very <coughs> structured and well posture and movement. And you definitely see that. And I think it's just, it really is just amazing to just see that because I'm a very, as you can probably hear animated. at times, very animated, also very fast talk pacing uh-huh. individual. There are times I can talk a little, I can slow down my voice, of course. I mean, we all have that. But I think what just captures me the most is seeing that and like how you, conduct that way and that's the way of conversing was a very slow and breathy way of speaking and today not so much and that's what's i think what portman does a great job and this is it's a great performance from her and it's one of her best which is saying because she's had a lot of really great performances mm-hmm. over during her career one that's got her an oscar so far she might get a second one now yeah. uh, but like the the way of capturing that where playing a person that's purposely being stilted or what have you, or sound, at least sounding still to her, you know, trying to portray what that kind of persona was like, and having, you know, the, you know, the kind of in her own mind, of, you know, way of acting that, that goes largely without dialogue for a lot of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, and then having the kind of the framing device interview stuff where she's speaking very bluntly with um, with White's, with, with Billy Crudup's character. I mean, there's there's a lot of different kinds of effort being put into just one single performance, which is very impressive. It is. And I wonder if, like, if you have older listeners, if they can definitely put their two cents in if that's correct because it's just i'm getting this sense of like that's just how the speaking was like during that time because of films Mm -hmm. and that's just like where my knowledge is coming from because you definitely even see like in the 30s and like the fred astaire type films oh yeah there's a different style of acting throughout generations which is it's always interesting to me where you look at someone like humphrey bogart who you can call like one of the greatest actors ever but like that kind of acting you don't see that anymore and, it, and you see different kinds of acting. You know, in the 70s, you got, or 60s, 70s, you got, like, method acting. Mm-hmm. Or certainly a lot more heavier versions of method acting. Right. And you see some of that now, but there's a lot of, like, improvi- improvisation is a big thing now. Mm-hmm. And not just, like, Marlon Brando does a thing with his hands or something. It's, like, actors making up reams of dialogue on the spot, which happens, obviously, in comedies a lot, but also, in general, just the ways of how indicative the, the script informs both the performance, but how an actor can inform the script as well. Right. And I don't think I'm wrong. I'm just, I think, again, I'm just, it's just like so exciting to think about just like how that transformation happens throughout time. And it's, so I know I said last week, I was like, well, if I don't see Jackie, I'll probably see Holiday Inn, watch Holiday Inn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I watched both. <laughs> but just watching Holiday that, Inn being the Bing Crosby. The Irving um, Berlin. Mm-hmm. Yeah film and so white christmas so came from there <laughs> yes one of the films it came from it came from two different films but i think yes you're yeah. right judy garland right there's some like near weird trivia that i kind of know but okay I, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> well just to, to talk about just yeah. that style it's just definitely captured there and it's just like that you don't see that type of like way of talking and i guess films. White, white christmas is the other film actually that I'm thinking <laughs> of. Yeah. but holiday is where it came from first i believe and so unnecessary. Go unnecessary. On, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I enjoy this. But definitely I mean you don't see that in films. And I, I'm watching those type of films and films from like the thirties and what have you. And I think again it just it's just very amusing to me just to see because you don't see that anymore. No one talks in that cadence anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's is again it's fascinating. Well, I think that's what like the Academy looks for too when it comes to Oscars, which I think it will be right. interesting to see if it comes down to between her and like Emma Stone for La La Land, because both of them are playing performances of people that would give certain types of performances back mm-hmm. in their day. Obviously La La Land, I believe, is set in modern time. It just happens to evoke a different time period. Right. Unless I'm completely off, but I don't well, we'll think we'll find I, out. I don't I don't think it's set in I think it's said modern. We'll um, find out soon. <laughs> but, you know, this one, what I think is really intricate about it is like what you're, exactly what you're mentioning, where Natalie Portman's playing a character that had to portray herself a very specific way because Jackie Kennedy would look at what other actors are doing and try to emulate that in her own way of presenting herself. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think a lot of people have kind of discussed imitation and impersonation mm-hmm. here with Jackie. 
And I feel like it's more her role. It's not impersonating, it's imitating. And those are two different things. Because when you're impersonating, you're solely taking on that person's characteristics, everything. Whereas imitating, you're sort of like this person, but you're still your own. Mm-hmm. And it's just fascinating to think about this as well, because actors have to kind of remove themselves, their own identity, to become something else in roles. So I don't know how you feel about that, that whether, well, whether it's imitating yeah. or impersonate. It's a neat thing that, that it certainly applies, especially when it comes to people that you've actually seen in reality. You know, mm-hmm. you can look at, you know, the older, you know, the films about English royals or what have you, where there's no recorded footage of them. So you can't really say that this is like, that's dead on because I saw this TV recording of this person. But you saw like Jackie Kennedy in the public limelight on TV. People know what she looks and sounds like. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very tricky job for an actor portraying that kind of person where you could just do a straight up, like get all the makeup required to look exactly like them, which is completely possible. And, you know, find the exact cadence in a voice or what have you and just make a complete straight up interpretation right. or impersonation. That's not that. I mean, that's acting. But the I think the key to making a strong performance is leaving your own impression as an actor. And what I think Portman does capture, along with, you know, many others that have certainly won Oscars or won their own share of accolades, is that they not only they not they give you both the sense of who that person was. But don't let you forget that there is an actor in there and that mm-hmm. you're seeing their own qualities as an actor coming out through that performance. Right. And I, gosh, I wish I would have read uh, a little bit more of this article, but it was about how the director, Pablo Verin, he discussed how he really wanted Natalie Portman. He wouldn't do this mm-hmm. film without her. And I know in your write-up you said how originally this film was going to be directed by... Darren Aronofsky. Yes, Avosky and with, uh, Rachel, Rachel Weisz would be the role. Yeah. And definitely we moved ourselves from that time now because it's now 2016 and this movie is out instead of mm-hmm. that instead of that one. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, how do you feel with Natalie Portman being in this role in comparison to Rachel Weisz or anyone else portraying Jackie? I mean, I think Natalie Portman is very well suited for this role, certainly now. I think she, I mean, as good as she's been in other roles, I think. She's certainly matured over the years and to a point where she could completely handle this role. I would mm-hmm. say she probably could have done it, you know, once she won for Black Swan as well. It's not out of necessarily out of her range. But I think, you know, having time, especially now she's a mother, I believe. I mean, having various various things that have gone on in her own life has certainly given her a, some, it, it, given her more, pers- given her more perspective. Right. Exactly. Uh, Rachel <laughs> Weisz, I think when that movie was going to come out around two, two point, 2010, which is when Black Swan came out, actually, um, which is when Weisz would have portrayed that role of that film came into fruition mm-hmm. and i do think i, I like rachel but i think she's a very capable actress i and I, I i could see her doing this role i'd be interested to see what that would have been it's not but i don't think that no. she would have done a bad job at it certainly not um it's trying to think of the other key roles she won for Constant gardner which is a film i really like and she had like the fountain which was with her that time husband darren aronofsky mm-hmm. which is also a very strong dramatic performance and uh, yeah i mean given the opportunity and the you know, whatever training that Portman did, she probably could have accomplished a lot of the same thing. Would it have been as good? I don't know. We'll never mm-hmm. know. But um, right. no, I certainly think she would have done a good job. But for what it is right good, now, like, definitely yeah. it being Jackie with Natalie Portman, it's well done. And mm-hmm. You talk about, I want to get back to that bit about Aronofsky originally going to direct it. I think Lorraine and Aronofsky actually, he did seek out Lorraine for this for the directing role when he realized he couldn't do direct the film himself, mm-hmm. which came partly because he split from Rachel Weisz, so they kind of lost, I guess, the energy he wanted to, to do the film. Right, and what he's produced, he produced Yeah, he still serves Jackie. as a producer. But I, I think, I, I've read a lot about this, where Lorraine, he's not a person for biopics. He doesn't necessarily like biopics, and he was, all, he was confused <laughs> as to why Aronofsky chose him, but he saw something in him. And watching the film... I could see, you know, based off the design of the film, I could see Aronofsky in this. I could see what kind of qualities he would bring to the film mm-hmm. is kind of a, in kind of a, you know, reducing the amount of, I don't know, melodrama or what have you and playing up the the cerebral qualities, something, you know, right. which I've seen in other Aronofsky films. What I also found in this, there's a lot of Malick in it. There's a lot, there's a, there's a sense of intimacy that reminded me of Terrence Malick. And you get that in a lot of the kind of, and those two, this, I, th- I think right, there's so. surprisingly similar qualities between Malik and, uh, and Darren Aronofsky. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but you mentioned the um, dreariness, I guess. But the, the, there's like a there's a dreaminess slash like a surreal, dreamy nature to the film. There is, and there's a lot of shots mm-hmm. that follow close behind her back. 
it's almost as if you're playing like a third person video game but like you know obviously not you know, you know crazy over the top sense but in terms of the way it's tracking her mm-hmm. and the way it follows her around where you're not focused on her face some shots are but you're focused on just her being in this world and i, I think the most the, the most pointed parts i could think of were when she's walking there's, there's a number of shots where she's walking through the white house uh and she's walking through like i think that's like the east wing or something like that where she's she's in like a big hall and um some points it's just as it is at other points as they're moving stuff out of the white like the the room's ever changing and i think that very much communicates her state of mind where things are just changing all over the place she doesn't know how to control it and she doesn't know what to do and how maybe she sees um Lyndon B. Johnson's wife. Yeah, she's looking Lady at Bird the coming different swatches. She, yeah, she sees just everything's mm-hmm. gonna change. Mm-hmm. And I would say she talks about how she's put so much time and effort into making making her making Camelot. Uh, we can get back to that, but making her version, you know, making the leaving her mark on the White House as far as changing the room around or whatnot, designing a a place that represents the Ken- the Kennedy administration at that time, and so seeing her walking through these halls. Um, from a low, from a lower angle behind mm-hmm. her back, where you're not, you you can't, you you can kind of surmise the emotional thing she's going through, as opposed to just seeing her face and getting a direct understanding of it. Which and, again, just to wrap up, it <laughs> reminds me of things that I would see in a Malick film or right. an Aronofsky film. And I like those scenes. I think those were probably my favorite scenes of the film. And to kind of back up, talking about like the cinematography, right, mm-hmm. where she is walking around the White House. And you have that reprise from the theatrical production of Camelot just resonating throughout the White House. I think that's my favorite. And it's also the most eeriest because everything's just kind of, you know, is down to the wire at that. To touch on the Camelot thing just a bit, just to provide some context, there was a there was a play called Camelot, mm-hmm. um, which has a, 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 a song that was, I guess, more iconic at the time. So not one yes, that was it's quoted from Alan J. Lerner. I think I'm saying that right. Lerner's mm-hmm. Camelot. Mm-hmm. And the the concept was that um, when Kennedy was given when Jackie Kennedy was given that interview um, to, for life, um, she wanted to equate the Kennedy administration to Camelot, just the kind of the the world that she was living. It felt like they created a, a this this place like Camelot, like the like the Knights of the Round Tables Camelot. Mm-hmm. Well, she also mentioned how it was Kennedy's favorite play. Yeah, and. This, what she ends up ending the interview with is the quote from the play mm-hmm. that reads, or actually it's sung, but <laughs> don't let it be forgot that for one brief shining moment there was a Camelot. Mm-hmm. And to kind of bring that in to the storyline is very interesting because if you do know a few things about the Kennedy administration and she kind of, I, does she, I'm trying to remember if she kind of mentions, you know, that of course she loves her husband. Mm-hmm. But getting to like the tying in of Camelot and Kennedy administration is just because there's definitely probably some type of infidelity going on. And that's the same thing that happens in the story of Camelot. And of course, he ends up dying at the end, mm. just as Kennedy does. And so it's very interesting that she would compare her like story to Camelot. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely noted as being a fairy tale and everything because she does come into the White House as the first first iconic lady to be you know also known for her fashion but also bringing in intellectuals to the white house and various artists Mm -hmm. and because kenny administration was very much in um thought process of like keeping the arts alive Mm -hmm. and definitely having the musicians come in and how they have like a ball i was gonna say it's very much emblemized by one of those scenes where you have uh, Jackie sitting front row center with her husband and bobby on the side of her Mm -hmm. and this big audience while they're watching a um a, a celloist play I believe so. Yeah. I don't. I always want to think pianist all the time when things like that. Chill, but it was yeah, a chill. chill yeah. <laughs> so that yeah, I mean it, it. It is neat to draw the kind of the Camelot. I think that works well into you know the kind of the the, the atmospheric nature of the film as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just is it, <clears throat> one of the, I think just many smart directorial choices here. Uh, I want to it talk is. about the performances a little bit, the other performances a little bit, because there are you know a number of side characters. But I think Peter Sarsgaard. Um, as uh, Robert F. Kennedy, I think he does a very good job. Now he's given a lot of like kind of bigger monologues to give, mm-hmm. while Jack, while you see more of just Jackie, not necessarily reacting, but just processing things in her mind. But I thought he's really good. I thought he like he he has what I think what Jackie's going through, which is clear, is you know there's 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 anger, there's frustration, there's sadness, there's mm-hmm. loneliness, there's, there's isolation. There's still love as well because she there's has her love. kids. Yeah, there's very much love. Her, um, and and, yeah, and you know the movie's not called Bobby. 
we already saw that one is directed by Emilio Estevez. But um, <laughs> it, it you know there there is some points involving Robert F. Kennedy where he's he's also grieving. He's going. I mean, the movie this movie as a whole is about grieving, which is where we should probably bring up more. It right. is a film about no, grieving. No, it definitely is. Um, but you know, Bobby's going through the same. You know, a lot of the same things. And, and it's you, also protection because yes. Bobby, he's doing a, a great job of trying to protect Jackie. Yes, yeah. In different scenes, like when they're getting ready for the procession, if I'm not wrong, and they see how when Oswald's being yeah, Lee, out, Lee, when Lee, Har- Lee Harvey Oswald gets, gets shot. shot, he lets even Lyndon Johnson, where it's like, I don't know, you're the president and everything now, but you everyone in the room needs to just not talk scene, about this. Yeah, and, <laughs> and like Johnson, like kind of. Yeah. The actor gives him that look, mm-hmm. like, are you ki- really? And he looks and he's just like, not one word. Like, I'll tell Jackie this. I think that's probably my favorite scene of him in the in the, throughout the film because it's very strong. And it's because, again, it's not like, you know, you don't want someone to find out. They're going to find out. But it's just the protection because there's so much going on already as it is. And didn't bring about the kids because she does. They do have children. Mm-hmm. And it's also protecting the children and all of that as well and so i think yeah that's a very important and strong scene yeah, and to get back to cyrus guard again who i do think is very good in this film i think the, the um like you're mentioning that that key scene where yeah he talks down everybody including president johnson mm-hmm. um he, he has a he has a he has a couple good scenes like that where he's talking about just kind of what the what the kennedys are leaving behind and how he'd be you know, there's he mentions the missile crisis and oh, how both yes. they ended and started things going on there but there's also like he talks about well what will we well what have we done he says that a number of times that's a good scene when it's both of them sitting together in the Mm -hmm. room and it's that whole process and it's just it's it's anger because he doesn't you know because there's civil rights there's all the others all yeah johnson gets to race to the the moon um yeah civil rights vietnam i mean there's a lot of things to like touch on those things but and and it's they're reflecting on the fact that is it going to be just the assassination that leaves our legacy and what's and just known be known as like you know being the glitz and glam Mm -hmm. of like this fairy tale that she ends up creating with the interview and what's neat is that's i mean we know from an outside perspective because we're in a modern audience that's not the case. I mean, the, the Kennedys are remembered for a lot of other things and not just the fact that a horrible assassination occurred. We're definitely one of the arts. <laughs> yes, the arts being one of them. Well, so it, there is a, you know, there is a... But there are other things as well. There, There's an interesting theme of legacy going on here mm-hmm. in addition to the various, various other things, including grief, as I mentioned, and you know, what else is going on. Um, and I think that the movie does a, a really good job of handling all of that. Um, I think we've, we talked about a lot with Jackie so far. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we want to there... continue talking about the grief because mm-hmm. definitely maybe it's just my way of reading a film and everything, but I think it is ironic to see Jackie's stiff movements during the that White House tour we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then later on when she's, at, towards the end of the film, she's driving past a department store that's bringing in mannequins. And I think, and it has her, I believe it's her clothing, because she has to give away the things that are in the White House. Well, it's at least clothing that's modeled off of what she wears. And that as well, because people definitely, because again, she was iconic, you know, for, for fashion as well. It was something where I saw it being ironic again, because it's showing the mannequins, how they represent a distant, how distant she really was in a way from some things that happen. And it also portrays her loneliness, but also her determination to try and um, keep that legacy like we were talking about earlier alive. And so I guess like another eerie scene, but that does convey a lot of grief from Stiff and Mannequins, uh-huh. I guess, if you want to. No, I understand. <laughs> I know you kind of look at me like, oh. Okay. No, no. I, get... <laughs> I, th- I think it's a, a, among many of very evocative imagery that they use throughout the I film. I think it's just like that academic side of my brain kind of like, putting things together where it's like stiffness and then mannequins are also stiff and also they're lonely. I mean, they're not mm-hmm. real objects, but they can convey this also loneliness and grief. I think it taps into, so. it taps into that. I think it also taps into legacy once again, where it's like, what's Jackie going to be known for now? And it, like, is Jay's, are people going to take her seriously for, you know, what she, you know, what, what she's gone through and what this, what this life magazine interview will do. Cause she hasn't, she like in, in reality, um, this interview did take place, and it's one of three interviews that only that ever took place involving her directly opening up about this event. Mm-hmm. She you know, she maintained a very private life. I mean, that she was well known in the public eye for various things, but as far as like actual emotions that she had about certain events, 
that's it's not something that's been reported on all that much no. a lot of it because she just doesn't allow it even in this life interview it's only goes so far because she directly she, edits. she directly yeah. edits things and what <laughs> can and can't be said um so yeah you have a scene which is around the closing of the film where you have <clears throat> i mean it's it's not spoilery necessary because the movie is very much i mean there's nothing to spoil it's just more about the how you know how you see the mood how play out but yeah as far as you know Seeing a, a shot of a bunch of mannequins with her haircuts, wearing clothes that she would probably wear, and her looking at that, it's her observing, like, this is what I'm known for, mm-hmm. or, and this is, this is you know, a piece of plastic that's, you know, there's a piece of glass that separates me, the, you know, this part, this thing from the rest of society. Like, yeah, that, that taps into a bunch of stuff, which right. I think is why the film is very successful. And, and it, that's amazing. Again, it's amazing, because I'm just like, I kind of wish I could write a paper on it. <laughs> And I, I very, I very much hope that it gets kind of more recognition for doing what it does. I think there's a, there's a number so of very too. good films out there and coming out, um, but I, I'd like to think that Jackie can be recognized for more than just what Jackie, what uh, Natalie Portman's doing here. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of great elements to the film as a whole um, that certainly make me considering, you know, how I want to shape my end of the year list or whatnot. But oh my gosh, I know. Right? Well, it's like the more I talk about it and write about this film, it's like this movie's really good. It like really it, does a, is. it does a great job of handling a lot of things in a compact ninety minutes. Like it does, <laughs> it's it's very good that way. I know. Like I'm over, you know, flowing on the top ten right now. <laughs> so it's just like uh. I want I want to mention the writer real quick, uh, Noah Oppenheim. Mm-hmm. He um, originally developed this pl- an idea to do a whole like mini series for HBO about John F. Kennedy's presidency as a whole, and it'd be divided into parts, and the Jackie portion would be a part of it as well. Um, and Steven Spielberg was going to produce it. Um, the I- that fell through, um, and eventually um, <clears throat> uh, Aronofsky picked up the you know where it was going from there, and and the two of that they kind of worked together, and they figured that the Jackie aspect angle was like a good play to play. Uh, especially because there's been a lot about John F. Kennedy over the years. That's not saying that you know more can't be done in the future, or whatnot. But he, but... I like this direction, though. But yeah, I think it, of course, you know, we always want something fresh and different from Hollywood, and mm-hmm. this is, of course, when a story is being retold so many times, it's definitely nice to take it from a different direction and seeing it from Jackie's side. But yeah, so Oppenheimer worked on this. And he was able to kind of stay with it from the beginning to the end here, where the end result is a, a whole movie about Jackie. And, uh, you know, it's as far as kind of the, the script goes, I, mean, I guess some of the framing work is a little more blunt in what it's trying to accomplish in other things. It's, it's, I mean, it's not like the a few scripts are the best scripts ever, but I think it does a very good job as far as conveying a lot of different things, like I said, in a, you know, a certain amount of time and giving you enough perspective but also keeping it focused on jackie mm-hmm. i mean the movie is called jackie and it focuses on jackie you brought this up too yes. it is it does keep its focus on jackie where it could have been like you could have for example had greta gerwig's nancy tuckerman character that could have been like the you know the one you follow and you just observe jackie from afar some biopics do that mm-hmm. not always my favorite way of going but uh, you know because it, it it turns the person into this kind of mythic character and some 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 biopics they can require that kind of thing i can see that working others you want to kind of more focus on the subject at hand right. very directly the more and, we talk about it i do want, i think i'd want to watch it again but i think more so if i was probably i don't necessarily have to do that but like i guess if i was in school for like film studies yeah. right now and like or just school in general we could just watch dreamy malik movies there you go <laughs> we just put tree of life on a loop <laughs> do things Sounds that way good. <laughs> yeah. but because like more we delve into it, i keep thinking more about it and like how it's being done and everything and it's just it it really is done really well mm-hmm. and i think it's it's one of the great films of this year so far okay well i think we've talked sufficiently about jackie it has been about 45 minutes <laughs> so i i'd like to think that we would say go see jackie in theaters i yes as far I as when agree. to go see this movie mm-hmm. well it is in theaters now in five theaters it expands in the weeks to come it made a good uh, you know, for being in five theaters, it, it made a, it made it like a solid uh, per theater average, which is always inspiring. You know, that's always good to hear when it comes to smaller films that only get released so far. And now we're going to jump in uh, to just me for a second here. So we're going to go over some of the out now feedback, feedback, feedback. I had an original plan for how this was going to work, but that unfortunately fell through. So I'm going to chime in um, with the uh, feedback here. Uh, first question we asked, and this is, of course, where we go over the various Facebook questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. And so, yeah, here, the first question we asked is a favorite Natalie Portman performance. And uh, Philip writes, uh, praising the novel Cloud Atlas so much on the set for V for Vendetta that the Wachowskis adapted it. Uh, April writes Closer. Manish writes Black Swan and V for Vendetta. And Chris writes Leon followed by Black Swan. Next question is, what has everyone seen lately and what did you think? 
<clears throat> uh, Chris writes uh, some terrible Netflix originals, Skip Trace and Memoirs of an International Assassin, and the original French series The Returned, which was awesome. I agree, the French series The Returned is awesome. Uh, Jason writes, I've been watching a lot of Christmas films. I forgot Tim Curry was in Home Alone 2. How dare you forget that. Uh, Nippon writes, just been watching Atlanta and Westworld. Oh, and the Exorcist TV series. Uh, two of those shows are worthwhile, I hear. Uh, and no. Uh, S- Stephen writes, loved Heller Highwater, a sure winner for Best Original Screenplay. I would hope that it gets a nomination at least. Uh, that'd be great to see if it wins something like that. Uh, Susan writes, I finally saw The Accountant and puts many hand highs. So I guess she really liked The Accountant. Uh, Manish writes, Lion, I loved it. I was a fan too, and I know Anna was for sure. And uh, Philip writes, my recent favorites are Son of Rambo, another favorite from Anna, uh, Slow West, another one Anna really liked, and Anthropoid, uh, which I actually, I like the, the the last half of that one quite a bit, actually. I think they're all great for anyone of interest in their genres. Uh, so yeah, that's that one. And then we get to some questions that were asked our way, and uh, so yeah, here we are. Philip asks, how important is it for you to like the characters in a film? It's such a hang-up for me that a well-made film about anyone I can root for falls flat. It's not a matter of importance necessarily. Um, it's just more of if the screenplay dictates that that's how things are going, then I'm willing to go along with it if it's a solid script and you know film in general. And I would say a recent example is something like Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal, which was one of my favorite films of the year. It was one of Anna's favorite films of the year, for that matter. Um, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is terrific in that film. I think the screenplay is absolutely worthwhile as far as what it's trying to accomplish. And it does a great job of centering on a character that's you know not a good person whatsoever, but you still... Uh, find yourself you know, sitting behind him and wanting to uh, see what comes of him and how he proceeds. And, you know, given the success he has, um, it, it is a you know a very interesting uh, film for, for that reason, kind of presenting sort of an anti-hero by way of someone like Travis Bickle for Taxi Driver, for example, another classic example of a person you didn't necessarily want to root for. Um, so, yeah, there's, I think there's, you know, it's not, it's not the requirement of me to like a character, um, but I can certainly like to watch him or her in a film, depending on, you know, again, what the screenplay necessitates for the drive of that character. Uh, and second question here from Jason. What do you think of Billy D. Williams voicing Two-Face in the Lego Batman movie, and will Colt 45 be involved? I don't know about Colt 45, but the news of Billy D. in the Lego Batman movie was some of the best news I heard last week, uh, mainly because, for one thing, I like Billy D. Williams. I am a big fan of the Two-Face character in the Batman universe, and if people know their Batman history as far as the Burton film goes, uh, Billy D was set to play Two-Face. Like that's what he wanted to do, and he was paid a good amount of money for them to let him go in order to have Tommy Lee Jones play him in Batman Forever instead. Uh, so the the idea that there's some kind of like karmic resolution going on here uh, it makes me very happy, and I look forward. That's just another reason I'm looking forward to the Lego Batman movie. Uh, so yeah, those are the questions asked our way, and I'll quickly do this. Uh, things that are uh, coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week, uh, just to get to that, then we'll get back to the uh, regular recording here, uh, where I continue talking with Anna. Uh, upcoming this week on DVD, Blu-ray, uh, the, Secret Life, the Secret Life of Pets, <laughs> that was a movie, Jason Bourne, uh, I like the Bourne films, I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, Phantasm Remastered and Phantasm Ravager, for those fans. The Mad Max Fury Road Black and Chrome Edition, uh, this is the preferred version of the film from director George Miller. What else? Uh, Don't Think Twice. This is a really solid uh, Michael Birbiglia film. I know uh, Abe and I are both fans of, of him and I'm happy to see him making another great movie. What else? Howard's End, the remastered edition that comes out this week. Uh, let's see. Oh, Henry, Por- Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is on Blu-ray this week. The 30th anniversary edition with a remastered vi- I gotta check that one out because I'm a big fan of that film. Uh, let's see. The Hollers. Uh, this is the film by... Uh, uh, what's the name? Jim from The Office. Uh, John Krasinski, he directed this film, and I've heard mixed things about it. It didn't look very good to me, though. And that's pretty... Oh, yeah, and of course, the 2016 World Series champions, Chicago Cubs Blu-ray, for those of you that want to relive that. Um, so there you go. That's what's coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week. And now we'll jump back to the show. So here we go. And so with that said, you want to you wanna go into any other movies that we've seen recently? Let's see. Well, what else... Well, I know, like I told you, I watched Holiday Inn, and it's an Irving Berlin musical and starring Bing Crosby as Jim and Fred Astaire as Ted, and they're part of a trio that dance and song and dance trio, and 
Bing Crosby's character, Jim. Wait, Fred Astaire and Bing Crosby sing and dance. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> and they, so Jim plans on like leaving to go to this country hotel and get away. Because the thing is, Fred Astaire's character, Ted, kind of takes the girl a lot. So he was like, you know, I'm I'm done with, you know, your, your, your plays of Bing's and stuff. So he leaves and he creates Holiday Inn. And it's basically a hotel where people only come on during the holidays. So... Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, President's Day, and they have a whole big song and dance numbers for those specific days. Mm-hmm. And there's a new uh, female role that comes in. I think is it Lin- falling for Linda, Margie Reynolds. I'm trying. Hopefully, not getting mixed up because there's two females in this role mm-hmm. in these um in this film. But Jim Crosby's character is falling in love with her, and of course, Fred Astaire comes in because he needs a new partner because. The partner he was um, engaged to decided to run off for a millionaire, mm-hmm. <laughs> as they do. It happens. <laughs> right? It happens. And so he gets frustrated because he's like, oh, no, he's up to his, you know, schemes again of, like, going to take my girl, and which he does. And I don't think I'm spoiling because it's, it's an old movie, but if you haven't seen it, definitely go see it. <laughs> and I think I'll just stop there. But I, I really enjoyed these classic, you know, films from the 40s till 60s, I'd say. Yeah. And it's just, it's fun to see. And Towards the end, I wanted to talk to you about it because I know you said you kind of remember it vaguely. I mean, it's very vague. Yeah. But because towards the end, the whole what happens like some big guys from Hollywood come in and they want to make a movie based on Holiday Inn, mm-hmm. and so they do create this film. And then Crosby's character Jim, he's just writing the music for them from afar because he didn't want to go to Hollywood because you know Astaire took his girl and everything, and so. <laughs> At the end, they're shooting the last scene where Linda goes, I think it's Linda, I hope I'm not mixing that up, but she goes to the end and kind of reminiscing of her her other days of like not before she became a big star. And I kind of wish that Jim Crosby's character was at the piano mm-hmm. when she came in. I think it would have been more effective in some way because she's supposed to cry. Oh, speaking about crying, real quick. Well, so Holiday Inn. Yeah. It's a great, you know, 40s black and white film. Definitely watch it. But crying because I know we kind of moved away from Jackie already. But what do you think when Portman cries? Because I think sometimes in his, I don't know, was that whole scene of like Anakin, <laughs> you know, and crying. So like, do you end up relating when she cries to like specific roles like that? Does it take away from the emotional... Are you asking me about Portman in general or yeah. actors no, in just general? Portman because she does, there's a scene where she's crying and mm-hmm. I think it's the mirror. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I thought of Star Wars when I thought of her <laughs> crying here. I, I mean, mainly because the movie, the different movies create different atmospheres. And okay. while I think, I, I too think Portman does what she can with those movies, with the prequels. Again, and I'm not a person that dislikes the prequels. I, I understand they're lesser films, right. but I don't necessarily have the same animosity some people have towards them. But I do think her and Ewan McGregor, among others, Ian McDermott as Palpatine, I think they all, the, the ones that aren't, that are good enough that they don't require direction to make their performances stick out in a way that's more positive, as opposed to someone like Hayden Christensen, who could have used a lot more help. I think those performances are quite strong. And while the dialogue may not be the best for them to properly communicate the emotions they're feeling without sounding on the nose, like, Anakin, you're breaking my heart as she cries, I do think that I thematically I understand what Amidala is going for through at the time when she finds out her husband slaughtering younglings and mm-hmm. doing all kinds of stuff where I can I can pick up on what she's trying to communicate and it, it is it is affecting. Now is it as affecting as something like Jackie? Uh, no, because Jackie creates its own atmosphere, which is very effective. Which we were kind of spoke about. Which we've talked about, yes. Cinema, yeah, I, I was just curious, and I agree with you that it you can separate the two mm-hmm. or various films from these actors when they're portraying in a specific you know, role of maybe crying in this area or laughing or, you know, definitely be able to separate them. But well, I was just curious because, like, thinking well, about this film and, like, how and like, I'm like, she's supposed to be crying when she comes into the end. And then it made me click about Jackie real quick. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because now that, now that you mentioned it, I actually think Portman, Portman's a pretty good crier. She's cried a lot throughout <laughs> her, like, when the, the, the Leon the Professional, she's cried. Yes. She, she, I mean, her whole family gets a She only cares about her brother, as she mentions. Yes. But, like, you know, <laughs> she still went, she's at the, the, that scene at the door when, like, she's walk, she walks past with the milk the, and the, walks to Leon's door. And like rings the doorbell, she's like, "Please answer!" And she's 
crying right there because she doesn't want to get found out by the mob that are still in the room right. slaughtering this family. She doesn't want to get found out there. Then I think of Heat, where she's um, she's Al Pacino's daughter-in-law, and she's obs- she's obsessed with her, her dad who doesn't show up. He wants him to come over. And there's a scene early on when they're first establishing her character where she wants to find her barrettes because her dad's going to come up. She wants to wear her favorite barrettes. Mm-hmm. She can't find them. And she's freaking out. And she's mm-hmm. crying. And, it's like, and, so I'm, and I was just, so I'm just thinking of that and, you know, other roles that she's done. It's like, Portman's actually really good at crying now that I think about it. I haven't really thought about that before. But, yeah, she's, she has she's a, she's a, a career of a lot of crying in roles that – generally work i think i agree i would nail it too right Mm -hmm. (laughs) crying yes i think i've got you sometimes (laughs) but i definitely agree i think you can separate the the different roles and what happens and talk about leon professionally that's one of my favorite films so Mm -hmm. yeah that's very effective there and it's not like i'm thinking of her during that role watching Jackie because they're definitely different films doing different things and everything but I'm just curious because you know some people can be joking aside of just like oh my goodness I only can see her <laughs> being fat and like really sad like Anakin you're see that, in general some that's... people end up they can't separate it in general like my dad is like that he okay. tends to see actors in a very key role and then just doesn't he, it's somewhat frustrating for me but he chooses <laughs> not to separate them <laughs> um, from certain roles, like Alec Baldwin, for instance, like I just think of him as the goofball in Thirty Rock now. I used to take him more seriously, but now I don't. Oh. Um, and then when I see him doing like random things and roles, like he's really good. It's like, yeah, no, he's still just Thirty Rock guys. Like, oh, come on, you're doing more. And I don't have that problem. I don't tend to worry. I don't tend to worry about actors in different roles and thinking of how it reflects on past roles they've had, especially when it comes to like comedians that do drama, that kind of thing. I don't think about like Jim Carrey. Like doing like Eternal Sunshine and thinking, oh, he's just talking out of his butt like he's mature. Like it's not oh a thing gosh, that gets to me. No. <laughs> I just, I, I just think of the actor doing their job, right? Um, and I'm happy to think like that way. Uh, that's mainly because okay. I just try not to think outside of the movie I'm watching when I'm watching it. I mean, I can think of, I don't know, shots that recall something or what have you, because mm-hmm. that does that. Even with Jackie, I actually was reminded of Arrival uh, for a number of reasons. I think the without spoiling Arrival, I think the way this Jackie presents time is similar to how Arrival hmm. eventually plays out where you're watching Jackie oh, okay. and you're seeing a lot you're seeing a lot of different things in different periods of time right. at the same time mm-hmm. and I'll go that's as far as I'll go with that yeah okay. see Arrival in theaters now <laughs> um, um, but we definitely we've been together a little bit longer than usual so we've seen a lot together mm-hmm. I mean I watched Holiday Inn with my sister and that was fun but then we watched after Jackie or it was a couple of days after we went to go see a monster call. Yes, monster we saw calls. monster calls. Eddie Munster's back. No, stop. See, the... I was <laughs> trying to say. Did I say monster? I, a monster. Yes, we saw a monster calls. <laughs> I'm gonna tread a little lightly because we might talk about this more in depth later on. Okay. But if you want to talk about a monster calls, feel free. <laughs> I'll happy. I'll be happy to chime in a bit. Oh uh, well, I won't say too much then. I because it does open. It opens around Christmas, but then it it spreads. You... It opens wide in January. So yeah, you have a show that dives into it more. That's fine. I won't talk about it too much. I'll just say that we did read the book. Mm-hmm. We read it together. We did. I did my Liam Neeson impression when reading the monster. Which I really enjoyed. It was... Connor. <laughs> I enjoy reading with you these days. It's been fun. Like We watched, we read and watched... Or we read the BFG and watched it. And then now we've read A Monster Calls and mm-hmm. read that. And so I think it's, you know, it's a screenplay that was adapted by... The author, yeah, Patrick has, Ness, both wrote the book and the screenplay, and it definitely, I think, it hits the emotional notes that needs to happen. And he talked about whether a book gets adapted really closely to the film. This does, I would say. I definitely would agree that it's probably one that sticks really closely. And as you, we said it right now, where it's just like it's the same author, also being the screen um writer, mm-hmm. where he's not gonna, you know go off track and do something not gonna go off track but at the same time it almost feels negligible to me where it's like if they do go off track it's like well he it's his he did this right i don't have i don't have a problem with the like uh, like because gone girl is the same way with Mm -hmm. uh, gillian flynn Mm -hmm. she wrote the novel but then she wrote like a different ending or whatnot and it's like while i didn't read the gone girl it's like i wouldn't i wouldn't have a problem with that because it's the person that wrote the book is making their own choices of what they want to do cinematically but i'm really happy that didn't happen here like I, it does, it, yeah. It for the most, it sticks with it. I would say it, it kind of drops a few elements, but yes, um, that I wouldn't say were you know detrimental to you know no. the film. Uh, it also adds 
a few beats in a couple places where mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's a neat way to take. But I do think cinematically it works pretty well. I think it's just cinematically, right? Mm-hmm. Beautifully done. I really enjoyed the, the watercolors. Yes. Kind of spewing onto the screen and just like. Yeah, part of the film's design is that the monster is telling the lead character, Connor, some stories and the way it imagines the herb, you know replicates these stories or shows them off in a cinematic way i thought was very interesting i thought it was very well done it really it, is it reminded me for abe it reminded me of the um the harry potter deathly hallows part one scene where they tell a story and it goes to this animated version of mm-hmm. that story it reminded me of that kind of style was that i think that was in there i don't know uh <laughs> i know i wrote it in my review you know that. <laughs> uh, but no you're right and so i definitely don't want to spoil it because you're going to talk about it but you know it is about Connor going through the another film about grief, but like his mother is cancer stricken and just going through the process of having to deal with it. And you have the this monster that's in the film helping him move along. So like how the interview and Jackie kind of is the framework there. In this film, A Monster Calls, it's the yew tree, which is Liam Neeson, guiding this character through the film and helping him. And all I will say, I think, you know, it was well done. I enjoyed it. And definitely people should see it when it comes out. Another good one of the year. And the young boy that plays Connor. Yeah, Louis McDougal. He's quite good. great, yeah. And I would say for director Jay Bayona, who did The Orphanage, which uh, we're both a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. He also did The Impossible, <laughs> which I think is very good. Um, doing, you know, hey, for me, he has three. He has more films than just those, but those are certainly his more yeah, those, no. those, they're more recent and he's more you know the orphanage would put him on the map essentially now he's doing Jurassic World the second Jurassic World movie I'm excited whatever it's going to be called <laughs> I, 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 see what I, he does either, with that either The Lost World Jurassic World which I think is hilarious or Jurassic Universe but that probably <laughs> but regardless of whatever it's called he is doing the next version of that film uh, in that franchise and, and I'm curious I, I am what... curious I'm, great, I'm greatly <laughs> we're both curious I mean if they're bringing B.D. Wong back so that's a big plus right there for me <laughs> Um, but the but yeah, I, I given his track record of films so far, I I am curious what he does with dinosaurs. <laughs> but um, to get back with this film, I think, well, you know what? I'll just stop there because I don't want to the emotional beats and everything. Because reading it, mm-hmm. it was different than when we watched it. Yes. So I'll, I'll stop there. But there was some differences, and I think it's because we read the book. But it is, a, it is a good film. It is a good film. It's the only one to recommend. And then what else? We've just been kind of re-watching films. We watched Hugo. We watched, yes, we watched Hugh, Martin Scorsese's Hugo, which as some may recall is my favorite film of 2011. And October Sky. And we watched it in 3D because I refused to watch it any other way. <laughs> That's right. And October Sky. October Sky from director Joe Johnston of Captain else? America, a favorite film of Abe and I's on this podcast. Um, is that it? Uh, we watched those and we watched something else that i'm trying to recall right now what was that other film we watched (laughs) i'm drawing a blank it was something before hugo of course like something than hugo and october sky we watched unbreakable oh (laughs) (laughs) we watched it now that i've circled around in my chair and thought intensely about what it was that we watched we watched and we watched shyamalan's unbreakable favorite films of all time <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of good watching lately. We did so. I mean, all great films. Hugo mm. being the, the Hugo is so fantastic, and I only I I basically wish I recorded the discussion I had with you last night about Hugo because I don't <laughs> need to replicate every single phrase of that there. But I've talked about this plenty on the podcast in mm-hmm. past times. So seek the if you can. My, those are older episodes now. I don't know if they're available on iTunes. But <laughs> Abe and I have some thoughts on Hugo that are very positive. Um, and if you haven't like seen this film. That should be on it's, yeah. things to see. <laughs> Even if you unfortunately can't watch it in 3D, I would still say go seek out Hugo. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great one. Um, all right, well, I think that's gonna do it for this bonus episode. I've, I've had a great time talking with Jack. To, with I great time. <laughs> you had a great time talking. Hold on, with Jack. I'm sorry. Let me get my Wait. tongue. Okay, it's Some back in my people mouth. people believe in fairy tales. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a great time talking about Jackie with you. I'm glad you were able to share your thoughts as well because I did like what I, you know, you talked about Jackie the other day with me. And I basically asked you to stop because you were saying some really interesting things that I wanted you to, I thought would be good for the podcast. And well, I think, hopefully that still resonated I think during you, the podcast. I, <laughs> listeners, 
you let us know. Um, <laughs> oh, no. Because, no, but no, seriously, <laughs> no. if you're if you're able to see Jackie or see anything else that we talked about recently or just in general want to email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com, feel free to do so. Leave us a message. We'd be happy to hear it. Uh, for, of course, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, twitter.com slash underscore podcast. There's our Tumblr page for whatever reason at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. You can follow me over on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Where can people follow you online? They can follow me on Twitter at Right to Recite. And like I said before, if you go on to the Newport Beach Film Festival website, there's a blog there and you can find the most recent review of Jackie of mine there. And so I'm kind of like adding my two cents and keeping the blog alive over there. I'll, I'll be happy to link to that in the show notes. <laughs> um, you can find all the other episodes about Now Out There and Abe over on iTunes and Audio Boom. You can find older episodes on Podomatic and HHWLOD. You can also find us on SoundCloud. And yeah, that's... Uh, that's going to do it for this uh, bonus episode. I've been happy to, again, talk to you about the film. Well, I was happy talking with you about the film as well, and hopefully it, it sounds great and everything. I didn't go too off. <laughs> no, not at all. Everything, but, you know, kind of helping you out since Abe is gone. <laughs> hopefully I've been uh, a good, what do you call it? You've been a great guest. A great guest a great to, co-host. Help you, <laughs> to help you out. <laughs> it's, great, it's great having a one-on-one conversation. It's, it's it's very nice to do that and talk about a film that we you know certainly had appreciation for. I'm sure everyone's like, Abe, get back soon. No. <laughs> they're saying, <laughs> they're saying, when are they going to stop? Because I want to hear that closeout music and then those bloopers. That's what they're saying. Oh, okay. They love those the bloops. Well, thank you for having me. And sooner or later, <laughs> the show will be back. All right. Well, until next time, that's going to do it for this week's bonus podcast episode. So until then, so long and goodbye. Each evening from December to December, before you drift to sleep upon your cot, think back on all the tales that you remember of Camelot. Ask every person if he's heard the story and tell it strong and clear if he has not here we go you are now recording <laughs> i am married and i'm recording up now with Aaron Abe. <laughs> as always i am Aaron, and this is abe hi hello hi how are we going <laughs> You're nailing the blooper material right now. I love you. All right. Okay. I love you too.